0: You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at English.cccto.org. Of the Beatitudes, and we said that there were eight Beatitudes. And the first one that we're looking at today is what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? When we looked at the Beatitudes as a whole last week, what we realized is that all of them are paradoxical. So in other words, like for today, we see that the poor in spirit, they're very poor, and yet God has put them as owners in the kingdom of heaven. They can't afford a home on earth. They barely have enough food to feed their stomach, and yet they are citizens. They belong to the greatest kingdom in all of history. They belong to the kingdom of God in heaven forever and ever. We want to understand, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Jesus says that to each one of these beatitudes, and the word beatitude just simply means blessing, And that God uses this word blessings eight times for us to see that these people who have these qualities are already blessed. That God wants us to know that we too can enjoy these same qualities because we share in the poverty of spirit. But what is that? What does it mean to be blessed? The word can also be translated supremely fortunate. And some people translate it blissful, blissful. And I think we understand that. So bless, bliss, they're very similar. Think of a moment or time where you were really blissful. Was there a moment in time that you can think about, maybe those of you who just graduated not too long ago, you experienced blissfulness. Um, maybe somebody in your family just had a child, and you go, "This blissfulness. Maybe somebody went through a wedding, and you were there, it was blissful we were here, we had baptisms, and those moments, they're always blissful. Maybe you recently saw somebody come to know Jesus, or you recently came to know Jesus, and you're experiencing that blissfulness right now. God wants us to be blissful, but he wants us to know that we can have this all the time. So are you blissful right now? And do you think it's going to last, or is there anything that could take away that blissfulness, because God wants us to have it. God wants us to know the blissfulness of all of the beatitudes. There's a, a last week I had recommended a book uh, by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones on studies in the Sermon on the Mount, and this week I want to recommend one other book, and this book is called The Divine Conspiracy. The Divine Conspiracy. And this book also helps us to understand the meaning of the Beatitudes and how God uses them to transform our lives. It's written by a former professor. He is now with the Lord, Dallas Willard. Uh, But he was a professor at USC, a professor of philosophy, but he also taught at Fuller Theological Seminary and many other places as a representative of Christ. And he defines the Beatitudes in this way. He says, the Beatitudes are not, and this is really important, they're not teaching how to be blessed. In other words, you don't have to go out and be poor to be blessed. Okay, you don't have to go out and, and uh, hurt yourself so that you mourn, all right, so that you would be blessed. So they're not how to be blessed, but rather they are explanations and illustrations Drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. In other words, everybody who's ever been feeling poor. Whether feeling poor economically, poor emotionally, poor mentally, poor spiritually. The kingdom of God is still available to those of us in that state. Because... The kingdom of God is brought to us in those states, even though we are very unlikely candidates. We may feel like, I'm the worst person in the world. If you feel like you're the worst person in the world, you feel poor. You have habits that you can't break. You wish, God, I shouldn't do these things that I keep doing over again. God, I don't know how you can keep forgiving me. You're poor. You keep wondering, God, will I ever attain to anything in this life? Will I ever be the person you want me to be? I keep failing In that moment, you are poor. Now, in that very same moment, Dallas Willard tells us that Jesus is relating to us and calling us to himself so that in that sense of brokenness, we can still come to him. And the good news, the blissful news, is that even in our lowest moments, even when we're most poor, Jesus accepts us. And Willard goes on to say that it's in Jesus, the rule of God, from the heavens, truly is available in all life circumstances that are beyond all human hope. So we are poor when we are in a place where we cannot handle the situations that we're facing, whether they be academic, whether they be economic, whether they be relational, social, spiritual. When we feel that we are so broken, we are poor And God wants us to know that even in that time, there is still a blissful blessing that comes in a relationship with our Lord Jesus. So to be able to embrace this poverty of spirit, what do we do? Well, what Jesus is saying is the very first beatitude, in essence, the first words out of Jesus' mouth. As we said, the greatest sermon that was ever preached came out of the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. And it is these words that help us to see what God wants us to know. And the first thing he wants us to know is that he wants us to acknowledge that we are poor in spirit or to put it another way, to acknowledge my nothingness. Now, if I say that to you, you probably have a a response. And my guess is if I heard that, it's not going to be a positive response. It says, I want you to acknowledge that I am nothing. Okay, now I'm sure that you have said this to yourself and maybe said it to other people you feel really bad but you go man am I really supposed to say this Um, well in the next moment the answer is yes because I'm just going to ask you to say it with me but in just a moment would you just say this word I am nothing okay let's say this together one two three I am nothing wait now (laughs) that just doesn't sound right right is that really what God wants me to say let's say it again I am nothing nothing now, most of the time when I say that, okay, I'm not saying it in the spirit of poverty of spirit. Now, I am poor in spirit, but usually what I'm saying there is I'm, I'm beating myself up. I'm berating myself. I'm judging myself. Or I'm letting what other people's view of me judge me and I'm just reflecting what they say. That's not what Jesus is saying. But say it again with me I am nothing. Gee, that just still doesn't sound right, you know. I don't know if it ever will, but it could be self-condemning when we say, I am nothing. It could be a false sense of humility. Say it with me one last time. I am nothing. Does it feel better yet? No, Yeah. no. Some of us maybe, you know. Well, how could it ever feel right? This is when it's right. It's when we're really being honest with ourselves. And we recognize that in the presence of God, we really are nothing. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. We're not berating ourselves. We're not condemning ourselves. We're not expressing it to get anything. We're not expressing it out of a false sense of humility. We are just simply being honest. This is who we really are. Now we think about what the world says. The world says that beatitudes come in a different way. The beatitudes of the world are three things. Blessed are the beautiful. Blessed are the brainy. Blessed are those who have bucks. So the beatitudes of the world are beauty, brains, and bucks. And as long as we have these, we ought to be happy people. But the beatitudes of Jesus are when we feel less than beautiful when we feel stupid when we feel poor the word poor means to cower or to shrink or even to cringe is a picture of a pauper is a picture of somebody very poor who who can barely stand to look up at the world because they feel the reality of their poverty This is just being honest with who we are. It has a good ending. But we have to begin with this difficult place. But it's the honest place of where we are. One of my favorite authors, Oswald Chambers, just simply defines it this way. Blessed are the paupers in spirit. Blessed are the paupers in spirit. Those who cower, those who shrink... Those who feel themselves to be small and poor. Dallas Willard, again, he defines it this way. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Again, this is not something that we really like. But it's something that we can be honest about. Remember, there's a good ending. But we must be honest with ourselves. That in the eyes of God, we have nothing to commend ourselves to him. We are naked before him. We are seen as what our true states are before him. He sees everything inside our hearts and inside our minds, inside our motives. He hears words that we may never say out of our lips, but which go through our, our hearts. And they break us when we're honest. And we realize that we are paupers spiritually. We are zeros spiritually. And it hurts. But it's a good hurt. Again, Oswald Chambers says this, The Beatitudes are like spiritual torpedoes that burst and explode in the mind. In other words, when that moment comes in our lives, we experience certain things of brokenness. We experience certain times where we can't understand why we do the very thing that we don't want to do and we feel so guilty. We do the very things that we know that will cause us to feel the shame and the hurt, and yet we do them anyway. We say things that we know we ought not to say. We do things that we know are wrong, and we continue to wonder, why do I do this? And suddenly, this torpedo begins to shape itself into our lives, and it comes to us, and it hits us in our hearts, and it explodes, and it says, yes, I am zero. Yes, I I am a pauper. Yes, I I really am, in the eyes of God, poor. But it is a good explosion. It is a good detonation that comes when this spiritual torpedo comes and opens our heart because now, 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 we're at the right place because we are ready to receive what God wants us to give. And what Jesus wants us to to have is himself and is his grace. Theologically for Jesus to begin poor in spirit really is an expression that we are saved by grace and not by our own efforts or works. It is Jesus' way of beginning in his very sermon on blessings to say the blessings will never come because you deserve it. The blessings will never come because you earn it. In fact, you don't deserve it. The blessings are going to only come if you will accept them freely. You have nothing to offer, but I have everything to offer to you. You deserve punishment, but I'm going to give you blessings. You can achieve nothing, but I've achieved everything for you already. I will give to you what you need. There are no self-made Christians. We can't pick ourselves up. John Stott, who also now is with the Lord, amazing theologian and pastor in England, he says this The Beatitude is one of the strongest statements in the Bible of the great doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone. For it is a statement of our complete inability to please God by any effort. We don't please God, we don't get into the kingdom by our own efforts. But Jesus is going to offer to us his blissfulness, the grace, the gift, the freedom that he alone, that God wants us to have. So Jesus is telling us here in this first beatitude, it's not about trying. It's not about you being able to have enough to be standing before God. It is simply acknowledging your need that you have before him because you recognize honestly and humbly that you are desperate for his presence, desperate for his touch, eager to receive his riches. So being poor in spirit is not a rags-to-riches story for us. It's not a rags-to-riches where we go, oh, well, now that I'm poor, now I deserve what I can get. Now I'm poor, now God will give me what I want. No, it's not a rags-to-riches what it is is that rags are riches. And is realizing as long as, as I'm recognizing who I truly am, I'm in that place of being able to receive from God the things that I most need. And what do I most need? I need the preacher. I need the one who is giving the sermon. I need Christ Himself. Because he is going to give me what I really, really want. Which is the kingdom of heaven. It is this gift that he is opening up to us. And as we accept him, as we know him, as we follow him. This is how we are receiving the blissfulness of the kingdom of heaven. As we know Jesus. Here are some verses that help us to know Jesus. And to to know what he is like. And to know his love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Would you read this with me? Let's say it together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What does this mean? It means Jesus was poor in spirit. There was nobody on earth who ever was more poor than Jesus. Why is that? Because there's nobody who's ever been more rich than Jesus. And he gave up all those riches in heaven to become like you and me, to become poor. Why? So that out of his poverty and out of him being so poor in this world, he could give to us his riches, the kingdom of heaven. What did he do for us in Philippians chapter 2, 5-7? through seven. Let's read this together. Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men. Remember that statement, I am nothing? Jesus took the form of a man and made himself nothing. He gave up his prerogatives in heaven. He gave up and he stood off of his throne to come down and be here on earth. And he did this by being a servant, not by being a monarch. And he leads us through his humility and his example that even he came and gave up everything so that we could have spiritual riches. What a God we have. What a grace he gives us. That Jesus became like you and me. And what did that mean in Romans 8, 3? Would you read this with me? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus took on our sin. Jesus became like you and me. In his nothingness he experienced the pain of our sin in his body. He himself never sinned, and yet he became sin for you and me. He experienced this spiritual poverty, but not just that. He experienced physical poverty as well. He said the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you have a pillow, you're richer than Jesus. He had no place to lay his head. He experienced poverty. And because of all this, because of his willingness to be a man, because of his willingness to be made nothing, to take the form of a servant, to be in the likeness of you and me, Jesus is able to be our perfect Savior. He is able to give us his perfect grace And so he says, this is why I came, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach. What? Good news. To who? The poor. The poor in spirit. Jesus wants us to accept this message. He wants us to acknowledge our own sinfulness, acknowledge our own humility, our own humbling. He wants us to acknowledge our nothingness, but in that, he wants us also to realize he's offering to us his grace to fill up those places that never could be filled any other way. But we must continue in this spirit of humility because being poor in spirit means a continual relinquishing of all self-effort. A continual relinquishing so that our spirits are filled. Because it's not just being poor. We could look at it in at least two ways. Yes, it is about being poor economically. But obviously, because Jesus himself defines it this way, it is also a poverty of spirit to be poor inside of ourselves. And the word spirit is defined this way. It is the invisible and immortal part of us created by God. To respond and to be infused by the Spirit of God. There's a place in our lives. Pascal, the mathematician, called it a vacuum. St. Augustine called it a hole. And in both of those places, only God could fill it in our lives. It's not visible, it's invisible. It's not mortal, it's immortal but is that part that you and I have that every human being has that can respond to God and how do we respond we respond by being poor in spirit this means that we give up all self efforts to endure to re- receive the kingdom of God Martin Lloyd Jones defines poor in spirit in this way he says what is Poor in spirit, it means a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and of self-reliance. We don't depend on ourselves. We don't feel good about ourselves, We don't have self-assurance. We have Jesus' assurance. We have God' assurance. We don't have self-reliance. We have Holy Spirit reliance. We rely on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to help us through life. When they do, we're experiencing the joy of the Lord. We're experiencing the presence of the Lord. But it means we ourselves have to continue to remind ourselves we need God. It's a good thing to always know that we need Him. And therefore... Lord jones continues, and he says, it means a consciousness, an awareness that we are nothing in the presence of God. It is nothing then that you and I can produce. It is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves. We can't do it. It still can be ours, but we can't do it. But who can? We know the answer. Only God can. But we ourselves must be in this humble place of relinquishing our own efforts to get it. And Lloyd-Jones continues, and he says, And that we look to God in utter submission to him and in utter dependence upon him and his grace and his mercy. And God wants us to find the blissfulness of knowing that in our brokenness we turn to him. And in this brokenness and in this nothingness we find our everything of how he loves us. And this is consistent in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's consistent of the way that you and I can be, that we could be like each one of these people. And the first one is you and I can be like Isaiah, who said, Woe to me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. God is saying that to those who are willing to acknowledge it, that we are nothing, I'm ruined, woe is me. I I don't say the right things, I say wrong things. Jesus says that the things that we say are the things that come out of our hearts. Oh my gosh, my, my heart is unclean, and I live among a people of unclean hearts. And I've seen the king of the kingdom, I've seen God, the Lord Almighty, But I shall not be ruined. Because I recognize my need for him. And yet I feel the reality of my nothingness. And like Isaiah, I relinquish all self-effort because of the greatness of what I see in God as well as seeing the grief in my own heart. What about Simon Peter who loved Jesus so much that when he met Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet? He met Jesus and then he said, Go away from me, Lord! I'm a sinful man! This is a humble person, a person who relinquishes all self-effort, who recognizes he doesn't deserve, and she doesn't deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll leave. He says, come to me, Peter, and I will make you a fisher of men. I will raise you up and turn you into a great apostle of mine. I will use you to change the world and i will change your life from the inside out i'm going to make you a rock peter and i'm going to make you strong though you feel like dust and what about paul the great apostle who wrote half of the new testament how did he feel about himself Was it his effort? He goes, no, I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Have you ever made a mistake that you said, you just think about that? You go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And you sort of live with it. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Oh my gosh, I remember when I did that. Paul was living that way. He goes, I persecuted the church of God. I was there when Stephen was martyred. I'm responsible, I have blood on my hands. I may not have done the murder, but I'm an accomplice to it. And he lived with that, he knew it, and he understood the grace of God, that it wasn't his efforts, it was the mercy of God and the grace of God, and yet to himself, he realized there's no self-effort. In fact, I'm, I'm just the least of all people. Paul even said to himself, I'm the greatest of all sinners, so if you ever thought that you're the greatest of all sinners, good news is you can only be at best second greatest sinner of all. <laughs> Because the Bible already says that that Paul said, I am the greatest of all sinners. So Paul wins. Understanding that he had to relinquish all self-effort. And Jesus gives us the example through one of his parables of a tax collector. And the tax collector, the Bible says, stood at a distance from God stood at a distance from Jesus. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What kind of person is that? That's a person who relinquishes any belief that they have the ability to save themselves or deserve God's mercy and God's grace. But no, he is a sinner. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Because I don't deserve it. I think maybe the greatest example of all, that here is a man who understood he had nothing to give. And he is the last person that we hear that Jesus saved in this world. For he was on the cross, this thief, nailed to a cross next to Jesus, and in his brokenness, literally unable to do anything. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, thief, for you are poor in spirit, and yours is the kingdom of heaven. So we see in these people the examples of what you and I can be in the greatness of our brokenness. And it is in this brokenness that Jesus says we will experience blissfulness, a true happiness of what God gives to us. It's Father's day, and, and I can't help but, but remember and think about um, the, some of the best moments with my children. And one of the best moments that I remember of having was with my, my little girl, Angela, and she was probably in about fifth or sixth grade and she was going to a Christian school, and one of the things they did every year was they have speech meets, and the children would memorize their speeches, they would take something of history, something famous, and then they would give a report, or they would just literally say it by verbatim and remember it, and they would give a speech, but they had to give it with eye contact, they had to give it with expression, they had to give it with good grammar, it was sort of like um, a little kid's Toastmaster, Okay, and so they would have to give these speeches, and then they would be judged, and they would get awards, and, you know, they get, you know, no Fs or anything like that, but you get a a superior or a good or, you know, um, thanks for coming, you know, and so, um, and so um, Angela gave hers, and she got the highest, she got the great, you know, and I'm so proud of her, and, and, um, you know, we had seen her class give it, and, and I remember there's this one little girl, and she got the thanks for coming, and. Um, and she was looking sad, and, and we were walking out, and I'm holding Angie and she's, you know she's happy and we're holding hands, and we're walking in the parking lot ready to go home, and, and we see the, the other little girl there with her dad. He was a big guy, this big buff guy, I, and, and he was just hugging her, and she was just weeping and weeping. And I don't know what the dad said, but I could just sort of imagine him saying, "Honey, it's really okay, Daddy's here." Daddy loves you just the way you are. remember saying and thinking with Angela, honey, you know, I love you and I'm so happy and I'm so proud of you. But you know what? In this moment, that little girl is experiencing more happiness with her daddy than you are experiencing with me. Why? Because she was poor in spirit to the depths of her soul. And in that moment, that little girl was receiving the greatness of her father's love, greater than the love that I could give to my daughter, who at that moment was living in a moment of success. But it was this little girl who, living in her moment of failure, who is like you and me, that when we are living in the moments of our failure, that God says to us, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay that you're poor. I got it. I've got you you don't have to try you don't have to be rich you don't have to be famous just let me hold you let me love you come to me I want to remind you again of how we can know these things how can we know Jesus because this is how we know poverty of spirit We know this Lord who treats us in that way and loves us no matter what. So the way to know poverty of spirit, the way to know what we'll look at next week and what it means to mourn is to know Jesus. And how do we know Jesus? In his word. And so last week I challenged you with what I'll challenge you again this week. Read the word of God. Every day, and because I made myself accountable to you, I did it every day this week. I read or I listened to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Ten minutes. Just take ten minutes a day. Read it or play it in the car when you're out. Listen to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 every day through the series. And I promise you, your life will be changed for the good. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time.